Let me ask you a question this morning. How many of you struggle asking for directions when you're out on the road traveling? I, I know that's always been one of my personal shortcomings, uh, asking for directions when I'm lost. In fact, just this past Tuesday night, uh, I was down at the University of Minnesota. We were uh, visiting a friend from church who's in the hospital down there. And uh, after visiting uh, our friend at the hospital, my daughter Addie and I, we were making our way home and, you know, it was dark out and I'm not familiar with the U of M campus and there was all kind of road construction going on down there and, and I'm doing circles around the block and, and uh, I, you know, and I'm, I'm just confident I'm going to find my way out of here. And after about five minutes of, you know, detours and double backs and circling around from our starting point, you know, for like the third, fourth time, finally Addie says, Dad, why don't you just ask your phone? for directions. And I said, well, Hattie, that'd be too easy. You know, I was confident I could find my way out. Well, finally, you know, finally I did the smart thing and uh, went to my phone and I got directions and sure enough, uh, the phone let us right out of there uh, without any problem. You know, it's interesting when you think about that though. Uh, It is easier today than it's ever been to find directions. I mean, I mean, just think about in our own lifetime, right? I'm, I'm almost 44 years old, and in my lifetime, I remember as a little kid when our family would go on road trips, I mean, we were, we were stuck with like the fold-out map, you know what I'm saying? And uh, some of us still have those stuck in our glove compartments. You never use them anymore, right? But, but you'd pull out the map, and you'd full unfold it, and you know, you'd look for the coordinates, and you'd you know, point, get the lines together, figure out your destination, and find the freeways and the roads. And then, you know, if you remember, uh, AAA came along. And if you were AAA members, you could order a triptych. How many of you ever use those triptychs, right? And you would flip the pages, you know, and every 50 miles you'd flip the page and it would tell you, you know, any detours or any road construction, all the towns along the way. Uh, then from triptychs, right, we went to different driving apps on our phones and GPS systems in our cars. I mean, it's amazing what we can do today to get directions, the technology that's available. But there's one area where technology can't help us when it comes to finding direction in life, and especially in regards to finding wisdom in life. And here's where our technology falls short. Technology alone can never lead us to true wisdom. In fact, it's interesting, I grabbed my phone this week and I said, hey Siri, uh, get me directions to wisdom. And here she is, Siri's working on it right now. Well, Siri pulled up the directions, and uh, the directions took me on about a 1,500-mile course to Wisdom, Montana. (laughs) Not exactly what I was looking for. You know, Wisdom, Montana, and the directions that we need to navigate our way successfully through life are very different destinations. And the good news for us this morning as followers of Jesus Christ, as God's people, is that he has provided the directions that we need. He's given us the guidance to find true wisdom in this life. And that wisdom is found in his word. And in particular, today we're going to see that wisdom revealed to us in the book of Ecclesiastes. Today we're in Ecclesiastes chapter 7 verses 1 through 14, and here we're going to find Solomon giving us directions along the road to wisdom. We're not going to call out to Siri for directions this morning. Instead of, hey, Siri, today we're going to say, hey, Solomon, take me to wisdom. Here's Siri again trying to get me to wisdom. 
So what does Solomon have to say to us this morning about finding directions on the road to wisdom? When we pull up Solomon's directions, divinely inspired directions from God in heaven, Solomon begins his directions on the road to wisdom by telling us to go straight down mortality way. Go straight down mortality way. Take a look at verses 1 through 4 of chapter 7. Solomon says, A good name is better than precious ointment, and the day of death than the day of birth. It is better to go to the house of mourning than to go to the house of feasting, for this is the end of all mankind, and the living will lay it to heart. Sorrow is better than laughter, for by sadness of face the heart is made glad. The heart of the wise is in the house of mourning, but the heart of fools is in the house of mirth. The word mirth simply means amusement or laughter. It's interesting how Solomon opens his directions for wisdom in life. He starts by addressing these weighty realities, realities we've already talked about this morning, the realities of death and mourning, realities that touch all of us numerous times in our lives as we see loved ones pass away, as we mourn and we grieve. Solomon begins in verse 1 of chapter 7. He says, A good name is better than precious ointment. And what he's talking about there is the reality of our character. He says, look at having a good character, a good reputation, being known as a person of integrity. That is better for you than precious ointment or precious oils or perfumes in the Hebrew language. You know, in the ancient world, if you remember back two, 3,000 years ago, they didn't have the same luxuries we have today. They didn't have running water. They couldn't go into their bathroom and turn on the shower and rinse off and soap off and get the dirt and the smell off. And so in the ancient world, you would cover yourselves with precious perfumes, precious ointments to cover up the stink. They didn't have right guard. They did have Old Spice, <laughs> real Old Spice. And Solomon says here, but a good name is better than precious ointment. And in the same way that a good name is better than precious ointment, Solomon says that the day of our death is better than the day of our birth. Now, how can this be, right? The day of our death is better than the day of our birth. But friends, we need to understand that Solomon is talking here about the person who fears the Lord. Solomon's already talked quite a bit in the book of Ecclesiastes about the fear of the Lord. And if you recall, a couple weeks ago, I, I talked about how the fear of the Lord in the Old Testament was equivalent to what we speak about in the New Testament, faith in the Lord. Fear of the Lord, faith in the Lord are synonymous ideas. It's the idea that we put our trust, our hope, our confidence in God for our salvation. And so Solomon says, for that person who puts their hope in God for their salvation, the day of death is better than the day of birth. See, friends, we go through life and we set aside a special day every year. Every single one of us sets aside a special day every year where we celebrate the day of our birth. It's our birthday. My 44th birthday is coming up in 10 days, October 29th. And my family, we're going to celebrate that. But you know something, friends? There's another day that we're going to celebrate not just once a year, 
but for all of eternity. And that's the day when, as followers of Jesus Christ, we enter into our eternal glory. It's a birthday that never ends. It's a celebration that never ends. Because God promises us that for those who fear the Lord, the day of our death is even better than the day of our birth. The 18th century Scottish theologian Thomas Boston, he said that in the day of his birth, he was born to die. Man was born to die. In the day of his death, he dies to live. Friends, if you know Jesus Christ, death is not the end. The grave is not the end. Death is the entrance into our new and eternal life and glory. The Apostle Paul said something very similar in the book of Philippians. Chapter 1, verses 21 through 23. The Apostle Paul says, For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Think about that, friends. That's incredible. Paul says, look, to live in this life is to live for Christ. I mean, that's awesome. What a privilege. But to die is even better. To die is gain. Why? If I live in the flesh, it's fruitful labor for me. I can labor on the co- on behalf of the cause of the gospel. Yet which shall I choose? I can't tell. I'm hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. Paul says to die is gain because for the person who fears God, death is our entrance into our eternal home and glory. But you see, friends, unfortunately, not everyone has this hope. We live in a world where many people fear the grave. They don't know what happens after death. They go through life scared and fearful and and hoping for the best, but they don't have an ultimate hope that the day of their death will be better than the day of their birth. And so Solomon goes on in verses 2 through 4 to implore his listeners and all of us here today to earnestly consider the reality of our impending mortality. Let's read verses 2 through 4 again. Solomon says, It is better to go to the house of mourning than to go to the house of feasting. In other words, it's better for you to go to a funeral than it is to a wedding. Why? Because the funeral, Solomon says, is the end of all mankind. And the living will lay it to heart. Sorrow is better than laughter. For for by sadness of the face, the heart or your inner constitution, who you truly are, your soul, your spirit, the heart, he says, is made glad. That word in the Hebrew is literally better. Your soul is made better for having gone to the house of mourning. But the fool resides in the house of amusement and laughter. See, Solomon says that the house of mourning is superior to the house of amusement. And the wise person will recognize this. Now, some of you might be thinking, well, Jason, how can this be? I mean, is he really serious that the house of mourning is better than the house of laughter? I mean, friends, Wednesday night, our family cried ourselves to sleep thinking about Evangeline passing away. Solomon says that's better than the house of amusement and laughter. But you see, friends, Solomon isn't saying that mourning is something we should rejoice in. What he's saying here is that facing the reality of death teaches us to be wise. 
It teaches us to be wise in the ways that we live. And friends, one of the wisest things we can do in life is to consider our own mortality. The reality that one day all of us will face the grave. Solomon says it's good for us to encounter death and to be realistic about death because death confronts us with the ultimate question. Am I prepared to die? Am I prepared to die? I can think back to the the first funeral I recall attending in my life. There may have been earlier ones, but the first one I truly remember, I was 16 years old. I, I shared with you a few weeks ago about the death of my friend Jason. 17 years old, senior in high school, took his own life. And I remember going to his funeral. I remember hundreds of young people together weeping, crying over the death of our friend. And I remember that Jason's death forced me to wrestle with the reality of the grave. It forced me to ask questions like, what is this life all about? Where is true meaning and purpose found? What what happens after we die? And Solomon says, that was good for my soul. And it was good for the soul of many young people who were there at Jason's funeral. Dozens of young people came to faith in Jesus Christ as a result of Jason's death. And it's very interesting, friends. I've seen this reality many times over the years here at Lakes Free as well. We've had some difficult funerals here over the years, especially the funerals of those young people who pass away in the prime of their life. I I think of young men like Joe Nafla and Alex Engelbrecht and Michael Peck. And I think of those memorial services and funeral services we held for those young men, and I recall dozens and hundreds of young people mourning the loss of their friends and wrestling with questions of their own mortality. And some young people even put their faith in Christ as a result of those funerals, as a result of their friend's death. See, this is why Solomon says it's good for the heart to have a direct encounter with death. Because when we go to a funeral, when we mourn the death of a loved one, we are forced to confront the reality that our days, too, are numbered. And friends, there's nothing of greater consequence. Let me ask you this morning, are you prepared to die? Are you ready to face the grave? Do you have the hope and assurance of eternal life? after your days on this earth come to an end. See, facing the reality of death, Solomon tells us that the truly wise person will turn to the author and giver of life, who Solomon says makes the day of death even better than the day of our birth. How can you do that? How can you have that assurance? Jesus himself tells us in passages like John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but will have eternal life. Friends, you too can have the hope of eternal life by putting your trust in Jesus Christ. It's the only way. There's one way to know with certainty that you will stand before God. And that's by putting your trust in Jesus who paid the penalty for our sins and purchased the right for us to enter into eternal glory.
Friends, don't miss that opportunity. Tomorrow is not guaranteed for any of us. We sit here today and we think tomorrow is guaranteed, but you know what? Some of us, today might be the last day of our lives on this earth. This week might be the last week of your life on this earth. You may have less than five years of life left on this earth. Are you prepared to face the grave? You can be if you'll put your trust in Jesus. Solomon secondly tells us in our passage this morning to take a U-turn at Rebuke Road. Chapter 7, verses 5 through 6, Solomon says, It's better for a man to hear the rebuke of the wise than to hear the song of fools. For as the crackling of thorns under a pot, so too is the laughter of the fools. This also is vanity. Here in these verses, Solomon invites us to pull up a seat around his campfire. And he tells us here that one of the most important lessons on the road to wisdom is learning to receive correction with humility and gratefulness. You see, the wise person will listen to correction, but the fool will just laugh it off. Solomon says the laughter of fools upon receiving rebuke is like the thorns in a campfire. They make a lot of noise, they make a lot of heat, but they quickly burn up and disappear. It's vanity. Solomon says the wise will listen to correction. This past week, I was thinking about all the times in my own life when I received wise counsel, wise rebuke, and I had the chance to either listen to that correction or, or turn away in pride from that correction. And I just recall all the times I'm so thankful for the lessons I learned through humility in receiving wise rebuke. I remember one of the first times in my life uh, back in high school, I remember it was our midterm math exam, and I had finished my midterm math exam, and I had turned it in to the teacher, and I went back to my desk, and while other students were still taking the exam, a friend of mine and I started talking, whispering, a little too loudly. Our math teacher heard us in the back of the room, whispering, talking to one another. He said, Jason, come up here. And I came up to the front of the classroom, and he took my exam off his desk, and in a big red marker, he wrote F across the top of my midterm exam. After class, I went up to him and I pleaded with him. I, I may have even been crying because I had worked so hard for that exam. I said, you can't give me an F. And he said, Jason, you were talking in the back of class. And I said, I, 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 I was just, you know, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to, I wasn't, I wasn't trying to cheat. I wasn't making it, you know, I wasn't trying to disturb anybody. And my math teacher said, Jason, you have to understand Students look to you as a leader. You have a responsibility to set an example for the kids in our class. And so he said, Jason, here's what I'm going to do. I'm not going to give you an F, but you're going to have to come in and retake that exam. And you're going to have to come in on Saturday morning for detention. And I remember showing up for detention on Saturday morning, and it was like the classic movie, The Breakfast Club, right? It was me and about a half dozen other students and I remember sitting there for two hours that morning thinking about what my math teacher told me, about the rebuke he had given me a couple days earlier. And I took that rebuke to heart. And as I thought about his rebuke, I, I learned important lessons about leadership and responsibility and integrity. But you know what? There were other students in that detention hall that morning. 
There were other students who were laughing about their detention, mocking the teachers who had given them detention, laughing about how many times they had already been to detention. Solomon says, that's foolishness. The wise person will receive rebuke with humility and gratefulness. You know, friends, let me ask you a question this morning. Are you open to receiving correction in your life? Do you receive correction from wise counselors who provide that positive discipline in your life? Or are you like the fool who just laughs off that rebuke? How about spiritually? Do you have a receptive spirit to the Lord's counsel? When you come to church on Sunday mornings, are you receptive to the counsel and sometimes the rebuke of the Lord in his word? Or do you laugh it off like a fool, thinking you know better than God? See, friend, Solomon says the mark of the wise person, true wisdom, is that we'll receive correction with humility and gladness. Thirdly, this morning, Solomon tells us to continue on contentment path. Continue on contentment path, verses 7 through 8. Surely oppression drives the wise into madness, and a bribe corrupts the heart. Better is the end of a thing than its beginning, and the patient in spirit is better than the proud in spirit. Now, it's not necessarily obvious what these verses have to do with contentment. But let me try and paraphrase for you this morning Solomon's point here. You see, what Solomon is saying to us here in these verses is this. Don't let this fallen world corrupt you. Solomon says that oppression can even drive the wise person into madness. Don't let this fallen world corrupt you. Don't let the evil and wickedness of this fallen world lead you astray. Don't let this fallen world corrupt you. And Solomon says, don't respond to evil with evil. Other people may commit injustices. But Solomon says, a bribe will corrupt your heart. Don't fall prey to that. Don't fall victim to those lies and temptations. Don't respond to evil with evil. And don't try and take shortcuts to joy and satisfaction. Solomon says the end of a thing is better than its beginning. In other words, oftentimes we look at the path in front of us and we think, wow, this is going to be such hard work. It's going to take so long to get there. And oftentimes we're tempted to take shortcuts to joy and satisfaction in this life. We live in a culture today that's prone to taking shortcuts, whether it's cheating on a test in school or, or the athlete who takes t steroids or drugs to try to get an advantage over their competition. We saw in recent months the, the celebrity scandal of the college admissions scandal, actresses like Felicity Huffman and Lori Laughlin who paid millions of dollars to get their students accepted to prestigious universities shortcutting the system. This is what Solomon's talking about. Don't take shortcuts. We live in a world that so often expects instant gratification. I mean, think about this, friends. With the push of a button or the swipe of your phone or the tap of a credit card, we can literally have anything we want. Food, conversation, sex, information, religion, relationships, groceries, you name it. We live in an instant culture. 
But God tells us that the wise will embrace patience. And patience is the fruit of trust. Trust in God's plan for our lives. Trust in his sovereign will for our lives. See, friends, when we look at the delays in our lives, the delays, the detours, the disappointments, and when we see a pause, God sees a plan. What we see as delays are sometimes God's means of bringing us to a greater end. And so our responsibility is to trust him. Solomon, who penned these words, also wrote the book of Proverbs. And in Proverbs 3, 5 through 7, Solomon says this, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. That's exactly what Solomon is saying here. The wise person will trust in God's plan. They won't take shortcuts to joy and satisfaction, but they will trust in God's plans and purposes in our lives. Fourthly, this morning, Solomon says, avoid the dead end at Anger Alley. You ever been to Anger Alley, friends? Verses 9 and 10 in our passage this morning, Solomon says, Be not quick in your spirit to become angry, for anger lodges in the heart of fools. Say not, Why were the former days better than these? For it is not from wisdom that you ask this. Now, it's important to understand here that Solomon has a particular kind of anger in mind. And the kind of anger that Solomon's talking about here is that impulsive or rash anger the kind of anger that lodges in the heart of fools or takes root in our soul when we buy into the lie that God hasn't been fair to us. You ever wrestled with that one, friends? Have you ever considered that reality? Did you know that sometimes the root of our anger in life is really a heart issue? Sometimes the anger we battle in life is really an issue of our trust in God and his sovereignty and his goodness in our lives. You know, this is an issue where God's been doing a work in my life in recent years, refining me in the area of anger. Seven years ago, my father passed away, and it was a hugely trying time in the life of my family. Suddenly, I'm forced to figure out how to take care of my mom and all of her needs. I've got my dad's ministry that all of a sudden is left without leadership that I had to figure out how to manage in the midst of my own ministry as a pastor. It was a stressful time. And then a couple of years after that, my wife was diagnosed with cancer. And we spent two years battling cancer. And in the midst of that, those of you who have gone through those types of trials know the financial hardships and burdens things like that bring, and all of that just added extra stress and burden to my life. And I remember thinking many times, God, this isn't fair. God, what are you doing? And I started to believe the lie. And that lie manifests itself sometimes in anger. And there were many times where I became short-tempered short-tempered with my wife, with my kids, with others. You'll see the same kind of anger oftentimes when visiting the sick or the infirmed or the elderly in nursing homes. 
Oftentimes people will look back on the former days, as Solomon says, and they'll think, weren't those days even better than where I'm at today? I remember when my wife was battling cancer, I remember one day I went outside the hospital to get some fresh air, and here were a couple cancer patients sitting in their wheelchairs. And they were waiting out their final days, and they were smoking a cigarette. And they were talking to one another, cursing God, cursing life, cursing their circumstances. Weren't the former days so much better than these? I remember visiting my grandmother in her nursing home up in Green Bay, Wisconsin, as she was ending her life battling dementia. I remember one day walking into the nursing home, and I saw an old lady sitting in a wheelchair by the front door looking outside, and I said to this woman, good day. She responded, what's so good about it? And I remember seeing her every time I would visit my grandma, and she was always bitter, always angry, because her view was on the past and the former days, which were so much better than today. You know, it's very interesting what happens to a person's heart in those days when they're confined to the nursing home or they're in hospice care facing the end of their life. I find that people usually either become more bitter and angry or they become more beautiful and joyful. And it all depends on what's going on in their heart. Jesus said in Luke 6.45 that out of the overflow of a person's heart, the mouth will speak. You know, friends, what's going on in your heart will determine the character and nature of your life. It's very interesting how many times I've seen that. People who don't know the Lord, who don't have that eternal hope, become bitter, become angry, resentful. And yet I've visited so many people. I think of many people here in our own church family. Visiting them in Parmley or in hospice care or in the hospitals and going through very difficult trials losing loved ones, being widowed, facing the end of their life, and yet there's great joy because they have that eternal hope. Solomon says, don't get stuck at the end of Anger Alley. God's been doing a work in my own life in this area over the years, refining me in this area. He's been refining me through my repentance of sin. He's been refining me by spending time in the Word of God. Friends, it's amazing. How much saturating your heart with God's word can make a difference in those sin issues that you struggle with? He's been refining me by giving me a growing vision of his overarching sovereignty and love for us. Recognizing that nothing happens in my life that isn't first father filtered. Holding on to that promise. You know, friends, resting in that promise of God's sovereign will and his goodness and faithfulness, it's like throwing cold water on the raging fires of anger. If anger is something you battle today, I'd encourage you to turn to the Lord. Repent of your sin. Turn to his word for hope and trust in his sovereign plans for your lives. Because he is good. He's faithful. He'll help you. Fifthly, Solomon says, stay right on wisdom trail. Verses 11 and 12, wisdom is good with an inheritance and advantage to those who see the sun. For the protection of wisdom is like the protection of money. And the advantage of knowledge is that wisdom preserves the life of him who has it. Now, if you were here with us last week, these verses might sound a bit curious. 
Because if you'll remember, last week Solomon gave us some pretty stern warnings about putting our hope and wealth and prosperity. He said it was vanity. And yet here he compares wisdom to wealth and prosperity. And not only that, but if you'll recall, early in our series, Solomon described his pursuit of knowledge as vanity. And yet here again, Solomon describes knowledge as an advantage. So what's the deal? Well, friends, you need to remember for Solomon, it was all about context. Where are you putting your hope? Where's your basis for joy in life? Are you pursuing these things, wisdom, knowledge, money as ends in and of themselves? Or are you pursuing them with God first at the center of your life? See, Solomon says here that the wise person is the person who puts God first in their life. And for that person, wisdom is good with an inheritance. In other words, they'll have a proper regard for money. And they'll see their money as a blessing from God and a tool for kingdom work. And they'll be more concerned with storing up treasures in heaven than storing up treasures here on earth. And it's the same way for the person who puts God first in their life. The wise person. Knowledge is also an advantage. Because knowledge gives us a stable foundation for living life and life to the full. And for God's glory. See friends, there's nothing wrong with money. There's nothing wrong with knowledge. But these things were meant to be pursued with God at the center of your life. And his priorities first. Solomon says here, stay on wisdom trail. Don't get sidetracked. Keep God number one and you'll experience blessing in these other areas as you put them in their proper context. But when they become your motivation, when they become your God, man, that's when you're going to be detoured. And you're going to find yourself off track. Lastly, this morning, we arrive at our destination. Where does the road to wisdom lead? Solomon tells us the road to wisdom leads to God's sovereignty station. God's sovereignty station. Let's read verses 13 through 14. Consider the work of God. Who can make straight what he has made crooked? In the day of prosperity, be joyful. And in the day of adversity, consider God has made the one as well as the other so that man may not find out anything that will be after him. In other words, we can't know or control our future. Only God does. I don't know about you, friends, but one of the biggest surprises surprises for me as we've gone through this series in the book of Ecclesiastes has been how Solomon so consistently declares the truth of God's sovereignty and his providential oversight over our lives. I mean, over and over again, we've seen Solomon say, look to God, trust in God. He is sovereign. He's in control. He has a plan. And here again, Solomon declares, who can make straight what God's made crooked? Look at God has ordained things to be the way that they are. Solomon says, look at in the day of prosperity, be joyful. And in the day of adversity, know that God has made the one just as well as he has made the other. And so trust him, trust in his sovereignty, trust in his wisdom, trust in his plans and purposes. Solomon says that our trust in God's sovereignty is the height of human wisdom. You want to be a wise person? Then trust in God, believe in his plans and purposes. 
And here's the deal, friends. We don't always understand what God is doing in our lives. We might not even always like what God is doing in our lives. But Solomon says the wise person will trust him. See, friends, I've found in my life that when you face trials and adversity and grief and mourning, you have a choice. You have a choice. You can either become a bitter person or you can become a better person. And it's very interesting. There's only a one-letter difference between those two words. You can become a bitter person by focusing on the I, the me, and say, God, why me? Oh, woe is me. God, why are you allowing all these trials into my life? And when we focus on our own wants and desires, it's very easy to become angry and bitter at the Lord. Your other option is to become a better person. And you become a better person in the midst of adversity and trial by focusing on the E, which stands for Emmanuel, which means God with us. Friends, God has a plan. He has a purpose. And when you trust him and lean on him, Solomon says that is where true wisdom is found. Have you arrived at God's sovereignty station? It's the height of wisdom in this world, friends, to trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. Let's close in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning for these wise words of Solomon. We thank you, Father, for the directions that he's given us here to wisdom through your Holy Spirit-inspired word. And Heavenly Father, I just pray that we would take these directions to heart that we would apply them to our own lives, that we would seek you first and foremost in everything. And in seeking you and in trusting in you, we would become truly wise people who don't pursue the stuff of this world as our ultimate source of hope and joy and satisfaction, but that we discover the wisdom of pursuing you above all else, trusting in you no matter what believing that you are good and you have plans and purposes for our lives. Lord, help us not to fall into the trap of bitterness, but help us to look to Emmanuel, God with us, and in that experience peace and grace and hope for this life. Lord, thank you for molding us and shaping us this morning by your word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Friends, why don't you stand this morning? May God bless you and may God keep you. May you look to his word for joy and hope and satisfaction because he is faithful. Have a great week. Amen.